No, all right. Now that we've um, broken the ice, I'd just like to thank you all for coming. Thank you for coming on Zoom. I hope you can hear okay. I love it when a Dharma talk begins with a story. Dongshan asked that question about sentient and non-sentient beings and his teacher Guishan raised his whisk as his answer. Dongshan said, what? Dongshan asked for a further explanation about this complicated point that might mean this clock is a sentient being. Guishan did not give any other answer. Dongshan at that time wanted more information, but in time, as the years went on, he came to appreciate his teacher's lack of explanation. This is not just my get out of jail free card for giving a Dharma talk, <laughs> but really an essential point, especially in Soto Zen, non-explanation is a part of our tradition. Um, the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Uh, or, so anything essential, anything you would want to really know from anybody uh, is actually ineffable. It can't be explained. What of value can be explained? Nothing. Uh, the ultimate truths are, as our founder Bodhidharma said, signless beyond words and letters, beyond explanation. So Dongshan's teacher did not waste his time. Also, it's important that we find things out by ourselves. Uh, Norman Fisher said, no one can communicate a truth worth knowing. The only worthwhile truth is the one you find uniquely for your own life. And I think in some sense, we all understand that's true. Even great teachers don't just download information to us. It's about how we discover it true for ourselves and apply it to our own life. So real truths uh, are ones what we must discover for ourselves and they can't be spoken. For these reasons, our tradition is famous for not offering instruction. We also don't want to be misguided. A uh, famous saying is uh, a finger pointing to the moon, which is an a symbol for a realization. A finger pointing to the moon is not the moon itself. And we can tend to get caught up in the instructions and forget what we're really what is really of value. Nonetheless, this is all to say that I'm gonna do the opposite in this talk. <laughs> uh, I believe in giving instruction. I've benefited from Zazen instruction. Zazen or meditation instruction has been given for hundreds, actually thousands of years. And I actually think that a finger Pointing to the moon is not the moon itself, but it can be pointing in the wrong direction. 
and that's not really helpful for anybody. A uh, famous um, illustration is that plants don't grow by pulling them. You can't pull a, a plant to make it grow out of the ground, but there are better ways to cultivate the soil. And for that reason, I would like to offer this talk. Four things I wish I was told about meditation 10 years ago. Uh, this is my first Dharma talk that is not just like about my life, a way seeking mind talk. So I thought if I only sit here in this seat this once, if there's one thing I could do for anybody who might be listening, uh, it's save them time and effort. I've wasted thousands, probably thousands, at least hundreds of hours in meditation. And I don't want that to happen as much to other people. Uh, I have to figure a lot out by myself, but other people might be better at taking instruction. So I want to offer four things that would have saved, saved me dozens, hundreds of hours in meditation. This is not an exhaustive uh, list. Uh, there's great meditation advice out there about how uh, whatever posture you're in can be seen as a yoga posture or the benefits of sitting outdoors, which are talks by themselves. But I'm just choosing these four based on what would have been helpful for me. That implies uh, what, what you're hearing is uh, what I didn't hear. So there's only some chance that it might be useful to you. And also, I would note that I was told these four things. I was told these things probably dozens of times, <laughs> but I didn't hear. So what you're hearing is also a reflection of just chance and my own brain, what stuck and what didn't. I think if you can get one good thing out of a half hour Dharma talk, you are doing like that is uh, much more useful uh, than my ratio, which might be like one great takeaway for hours of talks. So if you get one good one, I congratulate you. And you're welcome to sit zazen for the rest of the time. Um, before we or I go on too long, I really want to thank my teachers um, and my ancestors, seven generations, maybe more, 30 generations, maybe more. And I see one of them online. First thing I wish I had known 10 years ago, um, it is possible to waste time during meditation. You could be wasting your time. I think teachers don't say this because they would never want to discourage anybody from meditating. But I think we're stronger than that. Um, I think we uh, we can do better and we shouldn't be scared of doing the wrong thing. I know that this implies that there can be better or worse meditation, and that is actually not part of our tradition. A fundamental part of our tradition is that practice 
and re realization are identical. So there is nothing outside of realization. So whatever practice we're doing is part of the whole. If we're seeking or um, celebrating something universal, how could anything be outside of it? How could our meditation be outside of it, regardless of what we're doing? So since our tradition is good at holding up opposing the truths, it's kind of what we do, this kind of dialethism, I think we can handle it. We can understand that our practice is a reflection and a piece of universal realization. And we can understand that we can move in better and worse directions. Um, if you don't believe me, you could believe the our, one of our founders, Suzuki Roshi, who said, it is, um, if you are trying to attain enlightenment, that is part of karma. You are creating and being driven by karma and you are wasting your time on your black cushion. So those words were impactful to me. Uh, the fact that our founder actually gave clear direction and said that there is something you could be doing here in the Zendo on your cushion, even when you're being good, uh, silent, not moving, that is actually a waste of time. So that, that kind of attunes me that there are directions to go and directions that are not as valuable. And uh, according to Su Suzuki Roshi, sitting is one of them. I'm sorry, uh, sitting for enlightenment is one of them. So we should not chase enlightenment. That's a waste of time. Question. Then, I have often heard, actually, I was usually taught that you, you're not doing anything wrong. As long as you come to the zendo and you're sitting on your cushion, that is enough. Because why? This is part of, this is the embodiment of practice realization. So there's some kind of tension there. I've just sitting, just sit, that's what we say. Just this is it, this is enough. But there's also chasing enlightenment, or I heard from Shohaku Okamura, um, judgment, ju judging yourself, he said, is the only thing that you could do in meditation that is not useful. So there's another one. So simply taking the posture then might not be everything. As I've studied with, uh, among other traditions, I've run across a saying from Ajahn Sumedho, if sitting was enough, chickens would be enlightened. So those are hefty words and I do feel, I don't know this person, but it is a bit of a, a reply to a tradition like ours and Ajahn Sumedho is on a different strain of our same family tree. Um, but it's a clear um, 
response to this idea that just sitting doesn't matter what else you're doing is enough. Um, it is true that if we're sitting on our cushions, we're not probably kicking anybody. So that's a good thing. But there can be, what if I'm kicking somebody inside my head, like myself? That's, that's probably not the best use of my time on my black cushion. I will say, um, I believe that there is a turn that can take place, which is noticing. If I'm chasing enlightenment, Suzuki Roshi says that is not a good use of my time. But if I'm noticing I'm chasing enlightenment, that could be a valuable mindfulness of mind. If I'm noticing that I judge myself, um, that could be useful to me. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll learn something from that. Um, so if I say that there's a way to waste our time on our cushion, uh, another point that would be a question, there will be times, time for questions later to bring up. Um, another point would be then a whole piece of our tradition is about practicing with preferences. So are you saying you have a preference for not wasting your time? And that would be a good gotcha. We're, we're strongly told not to compare our meditation. Uh, one of my favorite Zen teachers, Mel Weitzman, uh, got very upset when a student of his said, I had a bad period of meditation today. I had a good period of meditation. So did Suzuki Roshi. They didn't like that. To me, if I think about it for myself, and you're welcome to think for yourself, um, I feel that that is because progress might not be linear. Uh, so it's not saying that we shouldn't work to curate our minds towards cultivating good soil, positive habits, but rather not to get lost in any kind of momentary good or bad. Just let it come and go. We don't know uh, if, I don't know if the worst day of my life will be followed by the best one or vice versa. Same thing in meditation. What if, I don't know this, but what if there was some crazy effect where you have your worst period of meditation a moment before your best one? So I do feel that meditation may not be a linear, like, oh, I was able to count two breaths today. Maybe tomorrow I'll count three. Um, I don't think it's linear like that. So I think a big point in practicing non-preference and not comparing good and bad is just staying out of thinking that it's not worth meditating if you've had a bad period what you consider or judge to be a, a not as good period of meditation. Uh, finally, just to conclude this point, uh, if you um, want to either confirm or 
object to this point that it is possible to waste time in meditation, uh, just go outside and that big chunk of wood that is the Han, that's actually something that is usually struck to invite people to meditation. Uh, there's an inscription on it. Uh, in all different Zen temples, it's different, but the um, ending or the main part is don't waste time. So why would it say that if it was possible, if it was not possible to waste time? Awake, awake, everybody. This time is precious. Don't waste it. It is possible to waste time during meditation. Um, but that's okay. We all waste time. I've probably wasted more than everybody here, so <laughs> it's all good. Um, item two, meditation might not begin immediately upon sitting. So this ties into the idea that it's about just sitting. Uh, no matter what you're doing, as long as you've, as you've made it here and you're folded up just so you're doing the right thing, I believe that's mostly crowd control. Um, historically, there were hundreds of people in monasteries and uh, often young people too. Uh, it was really, especially the bigger the monastery, just think about it, these are almost orphanages. Um, it's about obedience. Um, so they really just wanted people to sit quietly. Um, but here today, if I'm coming in after a day of work or chaos or traffic, um, it's been really helpful for me to keep in mind that meditation per se might not just begin on a snap as soon as the bell rings. Uh, this goes back to the point that obviously there is nothing outside of universality, but I can see a difference in my mind um, or not when I come in and I just, I think I'm just gonna snap into uh, inward pointing attention as soon as my uh, bottom hits the seat. Uh, and I don't think people say that enough. Um, it could take time. Have you ever tried to uh, after a busy day, just pick up a hard book and start reading it. And that's when you read the same paragraph over and over and you don't even know what you read. It, you can't just switch your attention. It's not really fair of us to ask that of ourselves because scientists have proven that there are such things called neural pathways. Uh, in our brains, and this is actually a Buddhist idea too, because we study habits, our personal habits and habits of mind. So with the neural pathways, the more you use them, the stronger they get. So if you're directing your focus um, very often or for eight hours straight during the day, uh, into one kind of attention, or for me, even on one subject. It's against um, science and Buddhism 
to expect myself to just flip over into studying my internal experience just like that. Uh, and I wish I was told that earlier because I think I kind of expected that. I think I did, I thought I came here, the bell rang, I should, I'm sitting, I'm in the posture, uh, this should be meditation right about now. And yes, everything is all included in this continuous practice, but I think uh, if you haven't already, you will see a progression and a change as you sit. So as an antidote, um, I've tried pairing meditation with other things when possible. This is especially uh, useful if I'm sitting elsewhere and not in the zendo. Uh, in the zendo, we have rituals which have the effect of triggering us. So I enjoyed the smell of incense, uh, smells are triggers, or just this atmosphere. Uh, as soon as I, if I've spent many periods of meditation here, then my mind grows the habit. And with those habits are the atmosphere. So that's why when we bow as we walk into the zendo, even though it's not part of meditation, seated meditation yet, it's actually part of the whole day and it's part of meditation. So that's a good benefit of rituals at home. Um, I know ideal for me would be to do like 45 minutes of yoga and then 45 minutes of sitting. I don't really know who has that kind of time. <laughs> so if there's something that you do uh, instead regularly, like if you, all right, to get out of the family or work mode, do something else like cooking and then sitting to try to break the habit and, you know, get into the, the, the neural pathways involved in relaxation. Uh, can be helpful. So whether it's cooking or I, did I say um, possibly if you're going to take a shower anyway, the shower before the sitting, then it could help kind of in general. Most of all, the most important part to me is knowing it and observing it. Um, because if I observe the movements of my mind and I know that what's going on, I can relax and I'm not under pressure. I don't feel like I should just be snapping to attention. And that mindfulness of mind is itself useful. So meditation may not begin immediately upon sitting. Speaking of which, uh, item three, pay attention to the relationship with time. So I did mention, I kind of gave away a little bit earlier that you can watch a change during a meditation period. Uh, Zen and sitting and Buddhism have very interesting relationships with time. Uh, Dogen Zenji says being itself is time, as we've studied in the morning book group previously. So being is time, he says. 
another interesting point is our tradition sometimes talks about sudden enlightenment, immediate realization. There's a story about a monk who, old guy, of course, guy, uh, was sweeping some stones the way Zen monks do, like with a rake, um, uh, was terrible of practice. And then at some very advanced age, a little pebble hit his rake and he was immediately enlightened. So just like that, just the strike of a pebble on the rake and he was, he gained realization. To me, the funny thing is he suddenly gained realization after like 30 years of practice. <laughs> And the Buddha has a similar story. One night, he, according to legend, if you will, uh, what became enlightened after many, many years of practice. So this many years of practice and sudden enlightenment, just pay attention to the relationship with time. There's as many stories about a momentary enlightenment that takes 20 years to solidify. So there is a sense of kind of like beginner's luck in meditation. Some of the best periods per se uh, are the earlier ones when we have no expectations. Nobody has shoved all these words into our heads. Um, and beginning sitters have very good experiences sometimes. And then the teachers always say, okay, now practice for 20 years, because that's when any kind of momentary realization um, comes to the test, 20 years of practice. I also think time is an important uh, aspect to study, formally or informally, doesn't matter because of the quickness of the world today. Uh, for me, if I don't like what I'm watching on TV, in five seconds, I will not be watching it. <laughs> uh, for me, if a website doesn't load, in about one second, I'll be on a different website. Uh, everything happens very fast or not at all. and. I feel, uh, Patrick said, I spent some time in monasteries and monastery-like settings, um, that my respect for process has decreased as I've been uh, become more used to having things happen instantly. And it actually does change one's expectation. Um, so I, I have to remind myself that yeah, like sitting is a process. A two depends how long you're sitting, two minutes, 20 minutes, or 20 years. Um, the Dalai Lama says even a few minutes of meditation a day are useful. And I think that's very encouraging. Uh, when I began sitting, I sat for like three minutes and I almost couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> Uh, but, but you know, it's not about how long, so I kept going. So that's good advice. 
uh, now, as I watch my mind, like I said before, the first three minutes, like that's not even, I'm not even, I'm still in other places. Uh, regardless of tradition, uh, they say meditation is about the present moment. And I'm definitely, even if you're in the present moment for like a millisecond during a period of meditation, uh, at first I'm still thinking about way more other things than if, if I sit for a 30 minute period, I can, for me, maybe you're better, uh, after like 30 or 40 minutes, I can just start to feel it start to loosen. If I'm uh, being mindful of my body internally, there's uh, little animals in there, uh, not real ones, but uh, feelings and effects. They don't even come out for the first 40 minutes. Um, they're, they're like little creatures that are scared. They're used to being overridden. Um, so for me, uh, it's interesting to watch duration. A few minutes is okay. And with duration, there are other things. So one way that I've practiced with this is uh, expanding my expectation around process. Uh, just like watching an egg cook. Just watch, watch that process happen. And it, it'll, for me, it increases my understanding that things actually do take time. Uh, usually I cook everything on high just so it'll be done faster, but uh, just widening, widening. Uh, on that note, I wanted to share a poem from my friend Michael Warner, who died of, uh, of actually pancreatic cancer. Um, and my thoughts are with uh, people who have this and thankful that others are treatable, but his was not. And he had very limited time. He was only 40. Uh, very short expectation to live. And he took the time to uh, write me this letter and he took the time to write this poem. A few minutes of listening to an ice cube melting. The small cracking and popping of self while changing into something else. Yep yet the same. A few minutes of listening to an ice cube melting. How many people have done that recently? Um, not me. Uh, usually when people have uh, a sentence like that, they go out and do a million things. As, and he did some of that too. Uh, go see places and hug people, and he did that too. But in his limited time, he sat and watched an ice cube melt. And yet something in this poem is like, it makes me think he had the full experience. He had the full experience. So, 
So pay attention to the relationship with time, I think is good advice. Finally, we're at the last one. Did I see a watch check? No. I got my eye on you, Patrick. <laughs> In my mind, it was. One of my favorite ones, uh, last one. Dial back your effort. Nobody ever told me that. Try less hard. I wish they told me that. Um, for me, especially in monasteries, okay, you see the, the relaxing Zen spas and all that like around Zen this is relaxing, Zen that. But for people who've really studied Zen, uh, Zen is active. Uh, my friend Jerry spent time in a Japanese monastery and he was commenting on this. He said, my experience of Zen was running, <laughs> not just like tiptoeing around, but like uh, we've got all these famous sayings, chop wood, carry water, uh, work. We've got stories about cooks who worked until they were 90 years old. They didn't want to do anything except work. A center like this runs on the overexertion of our teachers and board members. Um, Zen is active uh, and I am all about effort, but there is something called effortless effort as well, uh, to where there's a famous saying in Zen, practice like your hair is on fire. I didn't make that up, it's a famous saying. So you're like this and it's intense and it's time sensitive and it's important and it's, uh, it's pyrotechnic. Um, <laughs> practice like your hair is on fire, the utmost urgency. But nobody ever said actually dial back your effort until I read that in a book by Shyla Catherine who is an insight teacher uh, called Focused and Fearless, she says, try doing less rather than more. Half the effort might be sufficient to bring composure and balance to attention. You may not even be aware you are doing too much until you stop. Tension in the face and eyes may indicate excessive striving. So that is definitely me. I'm just, you know, all about it. Uh, but I remember my old yoga teacher used to say, try easy, try easy, Rachel. Don't try hard, try easy. Because you can't force these things. Uh, in meditation, I found that when I actually dialed back my effort, that was useful. So I would encourage you, I found dial back my effort 15% and just look at it. And even if it's not right, just that mindfulness of what you're doing is useful. Mindfulness of mind, mindfulness of experience. So I found that I was like, all these years, nobody said, try, try easy, don't, don't sit as hard. Pretty interesting. This kind of mindfulness and experimentation, watching my mind at all times is all part of Zazen. 
uh, whether sitting or cooking an egg. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope at least one thing helped. And if there are any questions, I'd be happy to um, provide an answer that you'll either hear or not hear. <laughs> yeah, and just a quick announcement that uh, uh, we, we are recording this, so if you don't want to be recorded, maybe you'll have to uh, ask Rachel a question during the snack period. Oh, yeah. And yeah, for those in here, there are cookies after this, so just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if not, that's okay. Okay. What is okay? Oh, uh, no questions. So many questions. I don't know. Okay. You could, uh, yeah, write write me a letter, or we'll talk talk after, or just converse. Thank you so much. Mm. Uh, according to Suzuki Roshi, when you are practicing Zazen, do not try to stop your thinking. Let it, let it stop by itself. If something comes into your mind, let it come in and let it go out. It will not stay long. When you try to stop your thinking, it means you're bothered by it. Don't be bothered by anything. It appears as if something comes from outside your mind, but actually it is only the waves of your mind. And if you're not bothered by the waves, gradually they will become calmer and calmer. And uh, Mary Tustin wrote you a little ah. note in the chat. Oh. Is it a note or a question? It's a, it's a chat, I don't know. Ah. Thank you. I have a or numberless I to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become beings of Oh.